I'm George Siegel, and this is the Move the World podcast. Every week, we feature interviews with people dedicated to making the world a better place. Welcome to this week's Move the World podcast. The idea behind this podcast is every week to introduce you to somebody who in their job or in their life is doing something to try to make the world a better place for all of us. My guest today is David Richards. He's a master strategist and international best-selling author who empowers people to lead extraordinary lives by helping them master their story. He's a veteran, a teacher, a student, and a friend. And with uh, Veterans Day recently happening, David, thank you for your service, first off. George, thanks so much. I appreciate it, and it's great to be with you. Yeah, glad to have you, glad to have you joining us. So tell me right off the bat, what do you do on a daily basis to help move the world? Yeah, so um, really it's getting in contact with people, connecting with people, and just helping them move forward in their lives. So um, <clears throat> any number of things. I teach yoga on a regular basis, but really connecting with people, I just want to help people solve whatever is troubling them at that moment. And if I can help them advance in a two-minute conversation or a 20-minute conversation, I'll take that action. So how did you go from being in the military, being in the service to uh, yep. a yoga instructor? That's, that's kind of a, a weird transition, I would say. It, it wasn't planned. I will say that. It was not planned in any way. Uh, I got out of the Marines in uh, August of 2006, had never been to a yoga class. My only affinity or affiliation with it you could kind of say it, I lived in Japan for three years as a kid from 1979 to 1982. And uh, obviously being immersed in uh, a Far East culture like that or Asian culture had a tremendous influence on my upbringing. I started meditating when I got, so I would come, I got back to the States in 82 in eighth grade and my friends were starting to go out and party and stuff on Friday nights and I would meditate and that's what I was doing. So um, I kind of took meditation with me into the Marine Corps, but the Marine Corps isn't a place for Zen a lot. Um, so as I got out, I read a Sports Illustrated article about NFL players using yoga to strengthen their midsections. And I thought, oh, if, if NFL players are doing it, I'm manly. I, they're manly. I can do that. And I did my first yoga class and it was a gentle style yoga, not a lot of stress. I was like, okay, this is weird, but maybe I need to stretch before I work out. And two days later, I went to a different teacher, different style yoga, 40 minutes into the class. I'm drenched in sweat from just moving around. And I'm like, what is going on? And at the end of class, you have something called Shavasana where you just lie still for five or 10 minutes, depending on the instructor. And it's kind of this really peaceful space space. And so I was like, what is that? Because it just provided something in my mind that I didn't have, which was kind of stillness and clarity coming out of the military. And so I got hooked a year later, I became an instructor and now I've been teaching for 14 years. That, to me, yoga is so much tougher than look, the couple times I've taken a class. It just lets me know what a bag of dough I am. But, uh, <laughs> it just wipes me out. And I'm going, I'm looking at all these people that don't necessarily look like they're in great shape, but they're kicking my butt in there because they do it all the time. It really does make a difference, doesn't it? It really does. It does. And, and recently I had the opportunity to go to a hot yoga class with a very dear friend of mine. And if you're not familiar with hot yoga, imagine doing yoga in a sauna. And that's basically what hot yoga is. And I've done it in my 14 years of teaching, <clears throat> excuse me, I've done hot yoga probably four times. 
so this class went in and you you get in and it is it's super steamy and uh and then after a second like okay this could be okay and then 15 or 20 minutes in like you're just drenched and you're like okay i'm my heart is racing really fast even though i'm breathing slow what's going on oh yeah this is hot yoga so it's uh it can be intense and if you're not used to it it's uh, it's always going to be a new experience Okay, so tell me about your book, The Lighthouse Keeper, Master Your Awareness, Master Your Mind. What is that book all about? Yeah, so uh, it really, it was born out of a yoga class, believe it or not. And in yoga, I go to my classes and I just try to give people a different way to think about how they experience their life. And that's kind of what yoga is. And in some ways you can say you are a, your life is a movie, you're a director. Are you shooting a drama? Are you shooting an adventure? Are you shooting a tragedy? What is your experience of life? And one day I just came in and said, your mind is an ocean and that's where all your memories are. Everyone you've ever met is in that ocean and your awareness where you put your attention is a lighthouse. And most people create habits and patterns in their lives. And so their lighthouse goes kind of in a similar approach day after day. Um, but with the practice of meditation, with willpower, with focus, you can begin to direct your awareness to where you want it to go in your mind. When you do that, then you can go on the path of creating or designing your life, you know, the life that you want. So is it, it, so is the book filled with, with tips to help people? Is it told through a story? I mean, what's, what's the, it's a a fiction story and it follows a protagonist who leaves uh, his dad's chicken farm to go become a lighthouse keeper's apprentice. And at the end of every chapter, he kind of takes notes on what, his takeaways were from the day and that's kind of the self-help piece of it. Uh, but he goes on a journey through his mind and uh, it's pretty compelling stuff. And that is just getting down the path of learning how to master your own mind. You know, you seem like one of those guys that probably wakes up in the morning, just full of energy and, and enthusiasm. But a lot of the people that you, that you probably deal with and tr- try to coach, it's very hard to match that energy. I mean, I consider myself fairly energetic, but I would be intimidated by your energy going, wow, I, I can't match this guy's energy. So how do, you, how do you get people to open up and embrace the concepts that you're trying to teach them? Well, it's a great question. Part of it is leadership through example. And thank you for saying I have a lot of energy. I do generally wake up and kind of get right out of bed. I start my day with a cold shower. Uh, I don't recommend it, but it's better than coffee because as soon as you get in the shower, you are awake. You stay in it for 30 seconds to a minute and you're like, okay, I'm ready for the day. I don't care if it's 4.50, 5 o'clock in the morning, let's go. But from there, you only get what, I mean, this is so true for all of us, George, but you only get out of life what you put into it. And so if you want to be a passenger on a cruise ship and that's your idea of life, great. But the problem with that kind of lifestyle is you can't complain when the destination you're getting to isn't where you want to go. If you want to be the captain of your own ship, that is a completely different mindset. And all of us, whether we like it or not, are captains of our ships. We may not be good sailors yet, but that comes with practice, with repetition, and with really getting clear about what you want out of life. Well, it just seems like the world now is in a place where people are unhappy, they're complaining, they want to blame somebody for their problems. You know, it's like, it's almost, you're the reason I'm not successful as opposed to owning it. How do you break that? It's, if if we can figure that out in our time today, we'll have accomplished something significant here on on this Friday. We'll move the world. It's a great question in that you have to take responsibility for your own life. And if you think that someone else 
is to blame for your misfortune or your experience of life, think about what that, like, think about just the idea of that. I can't be happy because of something someone else has done. That is the most ridiculous premise at all. And what you're doing is you're really kind of surrendering some incredible amount of power from yourself and giving it to someone else by saying this person is to blame. And if, you know, if I look back at the, um, our election cycle over the course of the past, you know, year and a half or whatever, Great example, finger pointing, and this is, and that's kind of our politics in general, right? That's why I kind of steer clear of it. But the idea that someone else is to blame for your misfortune, it it doesn't hold water when you get too far. Like, how how is that possible? Well, they took a job. Well, did they take your job? No, but they took a job that I wanted and I could have had maybe if they hadn't taken it. Okay, well, maybe that job just wasn't for you. So it's really about instead of externalizing the suffering, it's internalizing the, the work that we all have to do is inside. And the more that you are ready to take responsibility and accountability for your own life, the more fulfilling your life is ultimately going to be. Yeah. I mean, it seems like also you can't disagree with somebody anymore because it, it's like, you should be able to say to somebody, like I have some friends that are polar opposite of what my beliefs might be. And we're able to have conversations and then afterwards, we're still friends. We're, we don't agree, but I respect them for having an opinion. That respect really seems to be missing in a lot of interactions now. It's fascinating. I used to, I used to be one of them, and then I kind of stepped back from it. But I remember when some of the news streams on the internet would allow for comments on stories, and you would just see some of the visceral just anger and hate that people felt for one another, people they'd never even met. And you're like, where does that come from? Like where, what is inside you that you have so much hostility for someone else you don't even know just because they have an idea that differs from your idea. I love what you said, because ultimately we can debate ideas and discuss and disagree about ideas all day long. But if you attack me as a person because of the belief I hold, that's a completely different shift. And it's not a shift that, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. And that's why you're attacking me. It's you're attacking me because there's something that's missing inside you. And you think I'm responsible for that. And again, it's this, it's a, this idea that we aren't enough and it's someone else's fault for that reason. And, and the reality is if you do the internal work within yourself, you'll find that you are enough, that you have all the resources you need to live and fulfill the life that you want to dream and create for yourself. Well, I think the problem too is who are our role models for getting along? If you, I mean, if you just look at our politicians on both sides of the aisle, they don't even civilly disagree anymore. They, no. There's true hatred from one side towards the other. And I think what gets lost in that, you know, the documentary films I make are all about, we have to be our own best advocate. We can't rely on them. And I think they prove that on a daily basis. It's like, they're so wrapped up in fighting with each other. Where are we in the in the food chain? We're, we're not getting served. It's it's so true, and I I often wonder is that an output of when I when I think back to what I just said about people putting these horrible comments to other people on websites based on who was president or what the policy was or whatever, and then you kind of see that our politicians have reflected that. And like, okay, well, I guess that's a democratic society that we're embodying the worst of the extremes on either side, but ultimately we are best when we find common ground and reason to come together. And you think, I mean, think of any team 
any team comes together is because they're united behind, behind a common purpose. The idea that we can't be united as a people or a country because we can't find common ground is kind of ridiculous. Like we all want to be happy. We all want to, at least I think most of us want to contribute in a meaningful way to the world at large. And it should be pretty easy. As much as we've gotten interconnected through the internet now with the pandemic and everyone kind of getting expert or, or really smart and really proficient on Zoom and other video conferences really quickly, there's a lot more that we have in common that we have than we do our differences, really. Yeah, the problem with the internet is, I remember you when you wanted to complain or get on somebody, you had to write a letter or <laughs> you had to do something that took a little time. So you had to think about it. Now right. you can so instantaneously tweet to somebody or post something online. And it kind of tied into what I was uh, reading in your most recent blog, where you said the power of owning your own voice. Yes. Maybe a lot of people are having a voice now that shouldn't. But tell me about the blog and then what your, what your point was with that. Yeah, well, so we, we think, uh, my impression is a lot of people think my opinion is my voice. And if I say, if... Uh, like I hate to jump on, jump on the bandwagon, but I know I don't watch much news anymore these days because it's not worth my time, but I can get on for 30 seconds and I see something from Trump or about Trump. And I'm like, okay, we're still doing that. And so the idea that, oh, this is, you know, Trump, the election was rigged or stolen or whatever. Okay, really? Is that, is that we, we live in this society and that's what we're going to believe? Well, that's my opinion. And you, you know, people, the most sacred thing to people is their opinion. That's not your voice. Your voice is who you are, who you uniquely are, and the authenticity of how you speak. And a lot of people trade the identity of their voice for borrowing an opinion or aligning themselves to an opinion of a cause that they feel aligned to. That's just not your voice. Ultimately, the, and I, I don't, uh, I, I have it written in front of me, but I won't say it. But um, the, the person I mentioned, Arthur Samuel Joseph in the blog, an uh, opera singer and uh, vocal coach has been doing some, you know, this kind of work for 56 years. When you appreciate the power of the voice and you realize how powerful voice is, what I mentioned in the blog was, I can't tell you what Martin Luther King was wearing when he stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and gave his I have a dream speech. But those words resonate with me 50 years, 60 years after they happened, you know, 70 years, whatever it's, whatever it's been. The same thing with Winston Churchill trying to galvanize England against Nazi Germany in the early 40s or late 30s. Powerful, powerful voice. And you realize the power of the voice is really kind of connecting to your true self. And so when you do that, you're speaking from a place of authenticity. And when I, what I really think about owning your voice is if you are saying something and it's going to help someone, then you're pretty close to owning your voice. If you're saying something to hurt someone or to manipulate someone, then you're not owning your voice. You're trying to manipulate and hurt someone. And, and there's, so there's a difference there. So really it's, it's understanding what the voice really is. And really your voice is your identity because it doesn't matter what you look like necessarily, but people are going to remember what you said and how you made them feel. Yeah. I mean, isn't what you say, say who you are. Exactly. You know, that is exactly it. That's a beautiful way to say it, George. So people really need to think before they I, yes. I was, uh, think before you tweet, think before you send that. Uh, text. Well, and, I, and that's, my, well, I was uh, going to say that's the challenge, right? Because 
if you see something on the internet and it creates this instant reaction in you, you have the ability to respond. But that's where I say in the blog, take a breath, take a breath, connect with your true self and say, okay, is, one, is this really worth my time responding to? And two, what am I going to say? Am I going to say something that's going to help people? Or am I going to say something that's going to inflame you know, this fire of disgust or disingenuity or like rage or whatever's out there? Or am I really going to be compassionate to help people? And so taking a breath is a great way to kind of center before you start tweeting or doing anything else online. Yeah, I heard this comment years ago is in sports. I think Doc Rivers, when he was an, an analyst, said about a player, just because you're open doesn't mean you should shoot. And <laughs> if, if you translate that to just because you have a thought doesn't always mean you should share it. Right. And I can't tell you how many times over the last several months I've seen something that kind of fries me online and I, I get in there and start to answer it and then I read it and then I think about it and then I think, okay, what's going to happen when I send yeah. this? And I end up deleting it because there's no point. Well, and I love what you said, George. I, I have certainly, whether it was in the military or just, I have certainly gotten where I've been really, really angry, horribly angry at people, at myself or whatever. And I can absolutely testify that the things that I said then were hurtful, painful, ugly things. And they're coming, they're coming from a place of authenticity, but it wasn't a good place. And being able to kind of step back and say, you know what, I want, I want to claim my voice. I'm going to claim my identity. I don't want to be subject to other people's anger or anxiety or frustrations and use my voice to express that. I want to use my voice to make people better, to make people happy, to help people move forward in their lives. That's, that's where I want to really go from. So I, I love what you just said. Now you have four simple steps to owning your own voice. The first one is breathe. Is that the time yes. to slow down and, and think? Is that the time you just try to relax so you're thinking clearly? It really is. And I don't, I, I, I should have asked Rebecca, my uh, assistant, to put something out for uh, Arthur Samuel Joseph's website, vocalawareness.com. But what he says is you take that breath and you kind of connect to your higher self. And, and it's just a moment to sort of, it's, he calls it a conscious loving breath. And he talks about how he's used, you know, NFL Hall of Famers, help them write their induction speeches into the Hall of Fame. And they'll put on the piece of paper they have CBL or CLB, Conscious Living Breath, Loving Breath. And it's just take a moment to connect. And then when you do that, you know you're going to speak from this place that is going to empower people and your words are going to uplift people instead of tearing them down. Hey, the, the biggest takeaway to lead others, we must first learn to lead ourselves. Yes. Ex explain that. So I, it's so funny because um, I went to a Tony Robbins Leadership Academy program three weeks ago now, um, and I've been to several Tony Robbins events. If you don't know who he is, check him out. He's amazing and phenomenal what he does. But this one was Leadership Academy, and I was I kind of dismissed it when I heard about it a couple of years back because I've been in the Marines, I've led people in combat. I've been an executive in a Fortune 50 company. So I was kind of like, I got the leadership thing down. And I went into this four-day program and I was blown away by the content, by the quality. And what it really came down to was, it's great. You can inspire people with your words. But if you don't embody what you're saying, then you're kind of a charlatan. Like you can't, you can't, you can't say we're going to go take this hill. And if, if it means every last one of us has to die, then that's what it means. And then he goes like, good luck guys. I'm not doing that. Like you can't do that. Like it's just not going to work. 
And so you really, in order to, and that kind of why, that's why I kind of mentioned um, the voice stuff, because in order to own your voice, you, you have to command your identity and you have to, you have to say, I, this is who I am. These are the principles by which I live. They're not subject to negotiation or circumstance. You know, obviously we want to be flexible in our lives, but if I say, oh, I'm married and I'm not going to cheat on my wife, even though I'm going to vacation somewhere without her and an opportunity presents itself where you would never get caught or anything else. It's not, well, okay, let me take advantage of this because no one's going to find out. It's, that's not who I am. Like, it's not who I am. It's, I don't touch, like, it's, it's not even like consideration for me. And that's, that's leadership, you know, leading yourself really is coming from a place where you know the things that you say match with the things that you do. And that is embodied by how you present yourself to everyone. And again, voice is identity. And there's so many people that I think we look up to or we expect to lead us when we find out what total hypocrites they are. Yeah. It's, it's very deflating to see when a myth is busted, when, when the, the, the curtain is pulled off the wizard and you see what's really there. That's a tough thing. It really is. It's, it's disillusioning. And I know, I mean, we see that in certainly in politics, we see it in sports, we see it all over. And Again, but it's in some ways it's a reminder of, you know what? Yeah, they may have that problem. They may have that challenge. But at least they've gotten to that point where we're talking about someone famous falling from grace a little bit. Okay, but what did they take to get that high in the first place? And, and it couldn't have just been luck. There's something to it. And it, for me, anytime I look at that, it's just a reminder, check myself and how am I representing myself and if I want to aspire to those kind of heights, let me do so in the most authentic way possible. Well, because there's so many people out there that I think we love to see people fail in this country. We love to see people get up on a perch and then we love to see them get knocked off. And then what they do after that, some redeem themselves, some never make it back. You know, they had their moment um, in, in sports. I know a lot of athletes that they have a right to have opinions. They certainly have uh, these guys are uh, men and women are really smart. They, they, they know certain things, but once they come out with a polarizing opinion, it seems like they get mad at you if you no longer care to support them. I mean, it's like the whole thing is just kind of messed up to me. It's, it's funny because when we put someone like when we put football, I, I think in this country, there are the people who like to be entertained and then there are the entertainers. And I think we put the entertainers in a certain box and we say, this is who you are to me. You are the star football player of my favorite team, or you are my favorite actor or actress, or you're my favorite singer. That's who I want you to be. And the moment the person says, you know what, I'm a person too, and I have a view on this and it doesn't match with what we've are like, Ooh, don't do that. Don't, don't have an opinion or emotions or an identity that's separate from the identity that I want you to have. And that's, that's that rejection I think you talk about. At the same time, though, I believe in this country in particular, I don't have a sense of it worldwide, but certainly I feel America loves a comeback story. And America loves someone who, even if they plowed you know, 100 miles an hour into a dead-end street, uh, thinking they're doing something right and they crash and burn and they come out of it and you're like, you know what, I made a mistake, but I'm going to come back better. And that happens. That's kind of, that's what we love about being America. Like, and, and that's a beautiful part, you know, especially if we talk about Veterans Day 
that's kind of what makes America so special is anybody can come to this place. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you believe, what God you believe in, anything else. But if you work hard, you absolutely can fulfill your dreams. That is a fairly unique phenomenon worldwide compared to other countries. And that's what makes America, I think, still so endearing to people who don't necessarily or haven't benefited lifelong from its, its virtues and benefits. Now, you wrote a book, Whiskey and Yoga. <laughs> Interesting combination. I'm not a whiskey drinker. I mean, it, it seems like guys like you drink whiskey. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a whiskey drinker, but how do the, what's the uh, correlation between the two? Yeah, it's, uh, so I got it. Uh, I wrote that in December, or I wrote it in 2017, but I got a Christmas present in December of 2016 for, um, I got a whiskey and yoga t-shirt uh, because I'm a yoga instructor. I like scotch and it was ironic. And I was like, that's cool. And then I read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And for those of you who haven't heard of it, Napoleon Hill lives in the early 1900s, studied Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, um, I think Vanderbilt and some others, just to understand what made these men successful, these titans of industry successful. And what he found was it was persistence of vision and kind of faith and belief. And in the second chapter, I think, of the book, he asks you, what is your life's purpose? And... I was blown away. I was, my life has a purpose. What? That is the most, I thought it was supposed to make money and maybe have kids and do this other stuff and like do all these benchmarks that I see society offers up. But you're telling me my life has purpose. And so I, I was so inspired. I'm like, I'm going to write a book about finding my purpose in life. And I decided I was going to call it whiskey and yoga. And just the, the idea, I, I wrestled with how am I going to tie these two things that have nothing in common together. Well, when I kind of looked into it, they both tell the story of a spirit. And for whiskey, it's the story of aging the whiskey, obviously, in a cask. Uh, and then for yoga, it's the spirit. If you have a spiritual practice or belief that there's more to us than just this mind and body, um, it's the evolution of the spirit inside us. And, uh, and that was a nice way to connect the two. And, uh, and yeah, I was, I was really pleased with how that book turned out. So if you had to give advice to somebody, you know, because because my premise of this podcast, the idea is everybody can do something to move the world. You can go out and do something to try to make the world a better place. Um, it, be a little selfless. Just think of others. Think beyond yourself. What advice would you give somebody who that might get them motivated to get out there and do something? I, it's, it's a great question. The first thing I would say is get a journal and a pen and ask yourself, write down on the piece of paper, the first page of the book, what is the greatest contribution I can make with my life to the world? Just ask the question. Because if you don't ask the question, you're never going to get an answer. And it's kind of like what Michael Jordan said, you always miss the shots you don't take. If you don't ask yourself the question, you can't know the answer. So me coming you know, four years ago saying, what is the purpose of my life? Coming up with an answer, your mind is so brilliant and efficient, it's going to come up with an answer to any question you ask. And if you really want to move the world, then you're like, what tools, what talents do I have? And we all are unique people on this planet, whether we'd like, you know, think we're part of a group or, or we don't have enough, or I'm not different from anybody else. You absolutely are. It's just a question of asking yourself, how do I get, how do I get what's inside me out in a way that's meaningful to the world? Yeah. Unfortunately, it seems it takes tragic things to bring people together and find commonality. I mean, you probably saw that through the military, but it would be nice if those things could happen on a nice sunny day when nothing bad is going on. 
it really, well, and you know, life is what you make it really. And I mean, we, at some level in our primitive, even in our primitive brain, we have to know our experience of life is what we make it. What do we focus on a daily basis? Do we focus on the things that we don't have? Do I focus on, oh, I don't have, I'm not in a relationship or my house isn't big enough or I haven't gone on vacation. If that's where your focus is, then you're just going to bring more of that into your life. I don't have this. I don't have that. I can't do this. I can't do that. And that's going to make for an unfortunate life. On the other hand, if you're like, you know what? Hey, it's raining today, but this is a beautiful day. I'm going to make this the best day possible. I'm going to start by looking out, like, how can I impact one person's life today? And then just go out with that mission in mind. And you never know who's going to be in a place where someone just needs to hear, hey, are you okay? Is anything, you know, is anything troubling you? So it's these little things that we can, little steps we can take. But ultimately, it really comes down to what are you focusing on in your life? Because you are absolutely going to bring more of that into it. What are the best ways people can get in touch with you and also find your books? So the books are on Amazon, uh, Whiskey and Yoga and The Lighthouse Keeper, A Story of My Mastery. Uh, you can find me on Instagram sometimes. I've, I've kind of dropped off social media lately, but uh, David Richards Author and then davidrichardsauthor.com. Excellent. Well, David, hey, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, you know, I, I try to read people's books before I interview them, but that's hard to keep up with that. But I definitely want to check out your stuff. And um, I, I appreciate your time. George, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining me on this week's Move the World podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review and share the link with your friends so they can listen too. And join us again next week when we'll introduce you to somebody who is doing something to help move the world. See you next time.